Hello and welcome to another episode of the Giants of the Faith podcast. My name is Robert Daniels and I'm the host of this show. This is the podcast where we focus on individuals from the age of the church who've lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. These are people who are giants in the history of Christendom, and each has earned a spot in my personal Christian Hall of Fame. In this episode, we are going back to Scotland to discuss John Knox. Knox made a brief appearance in the George Wishart episode, but now we're going to look at him in a little more detail. Knox is a polarizing figure, but there is no doubt that in his role as one of the founders of the Presbyterian Church movement, he is one of the leading lights of the Protestant Reformation. But before we get into Knox's life, I have another recommendation for you. When doing research for a recent episode, I came across an interesting eBay listing. The seller has leaves, or pages, out of a 1582 Geneva Bible for sale. For $9, the seller will choose a leaf and mail it to you with a certificate of authentication. There are other options at different prices if you want to choose your own leaf or you want it framed, etc. But I just went with a $9 option. I received Joshua 15 and Psalm 78. The pages are obviously worn and have bits of writing on them from what I assume is the original owner. They've made a great addition to my home office and are a great conversation piece. I'll link to the eBay listing in the show notes. Okay, John Knox was born in the small town of Haddington, Scotland, probably in 1514. Haddington is south of Edinburgh, and there's not much to tell of his childhood. His father, William Knox, was a merchant. He had at least one brother, also named William, and his mother died when he was a child. In 1536, he graduated from the University of St. Andrews and was ordained as a priest on the day before Easter of that same year. By 1540, Knox was working as a tutor for the children of some minor Scottish nobility. Around that same time, Knox became exposed to Reformation teachings. He came under the influence of Thomas Guillaume, who was chaplain to the regent to the baby Mary Queen of Scots. Guillaume was a Protestant who, along with his fellow chaplain, John Ruff, traveled and preached the gospel throughout central Scotland, and it was this preaching that converted Knox. The Scottish government at the time was pro-Reformation, but that government didn't last, and by the time that George Wishart arrived on the scene in Scotland in 1543, things were decidedly anti-Reformation. Knox was drawn to Wishart and acted as a bodyguard for him during Wishart's ministry. Knox famously carried around a two-handed sword in this capacity. Wishart knew that his life was in danger, so he dismissed Knox and he continued traveling on his own. Well, Wishart was arrested, tried, and executed for heresy at the orders of Cardinal David Beaton. This outraged Wishart's followers, and some of them broke into St. Andrew's Castle and murdered the cardinal in retaliation. This was an open rebellion against the Catholic authorities, and Knox wasn't among them, but he did join the perpetrators soon after the murder. Meanwhile, a French fleet had lain siege to St. Andrews. The French and Scots were Catholic allies against England. During the siege, Knox fell back on his experience as a tutor, and he began to teach some of the younger men in the castle. Now, this impressed the leadership of the rebels, which included John Ruff, and they asked Knox to serve as castle chaplain. But Knox declined, believing that the men had no authority to appoint such a post. But Ruff persisted. While preaching the next Sunday, Ruff publicly called Knox to take up the position, and the congregation affirmed the calling. Knox was moved to tears, but he still refused to accept. He changed his mind only after hearing a Catholic priest sermon 
extolling the virtues of the church as the bride of Christ. Knox challenged the priest and called the church a harlot, and was then encouraged by the congregation to defend his views in the next week's sermon. He agreed, and thus began his public preaching ministry. Knox's first step into ministry was a short one. The French siege was ultimately successful, and in July 1547 the castle surrendered. Knox, along with the rest of the rebels, was taken to France. The leaders were imprisoned, and the more common folk, like Knox, were made galley slaves. Knox spent the next 19 months handling oars on a galley ship. He and the other Protestant prisoners not only had to do the grueling work of rowing the ship, they also faced intense pressure to surrender their beliefs. In February 1549, Knox was released along with the other religious prisoners. He didn't return to Scotland, however, but instead went to England, where Archbishop Cranmer was doing his part to establish the Reformation there. In England, he was given preaching duties in Berwick, where he met his future mother-in-law, Elizabeth Bowes, and also in Newcastle, where his reputation as a preacher first began to grow. He served there until 1551, when he was appointed as one of six royal chaplains. Now, this was quite the elevation for Knox, and it meant that he would sometimes preach before the English king, Edward VI. Knox would spend five years in England. He worked on the second book of common prayer in his role as a chaplain, and things were going well until July 6, 1553, when the king died. Bloody Mary came to power, and she was no friend to the Protestants. Many undertook an exodus to Europe, and Knox was among them. He landed in France, and he made his way to Zurich, and then on to Geneva. He met up with Calvin and Bullinger, and eventually he became pastor to a group of English and Scottish exiles living in Frankfurt. It didn't take long for Knox to become involved in a controversy around the order of worship. At this point, he was not a fan of the Book of Common Prayer that he had worked on in England, and he refused to use it for his services. But many in his congregation didn't like Calvin's Geneva order, so a third order of service was drawn up. Now, this didn't satisfy the common prayer crowd, and so another attempt is made. What they came up with would eventually become the official worship book of the Church of Scotland, the Book of Common Order. But in Frankfurt, it was rejected. And all of the controversy led to Knox's dismissal as pastor, and eventually his expulsion from the city. Knox ended up in Geneva, where he pastored an English congregation. But back in Scotland, the Reformation was growing. Churches that had met secretly began to meet openly, and they called for a national rejection of Catholicism. These reformers wrote to Knox and asked him to come preach in Scotland and encourage the work there. Knox agreed, and in August 1555, he undertook a nine-month preaching tour of the country. While in Scotland, Knox met up with Elizabeth Bowes and her daughter Marjorie. Knox had made secret promises to marry Marjorie, and he followed through on his promise. John and Marjorie returned to Geneva as husband and wife, and Elizabeth accompanied them. Knox had been thinking through the legitimacy of Bloody Mary's reign. He came to believe that a woman, especially a Roman Catholic one, had no legitimate authority, and it was the duty of her subjects to resist and rebel against her. He called such a woman odious in the presence of God. He penned open letters to the nobility and common folk of Scotland, calling for their resistance. In 1558, Knox wrote a little book with a big and controversial title, The First Blast of the Trumpet Against the Monstrous Regiment of Women. In it, he took aim at Bloody Mary, and he called out the rule of women as unbiblical, and he advocated rebellion. 
Calvin was appalled by the book, and he forbade that it be published and distributed in Geneva. And only a few weeks after it was published, Mary died, and Elizabeth I ascended to the throne in England. Elizabeth, of course, was a Protestant. When she saw what Knox had written, she developed a hatred of him that never lessened. Knox had driven a permanent wedge between himself and his English friends. Later in his life, it seems that he regretted this book, but you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, as they say. In May 1559, Knox returned to Scotland for good. Scotland at the time was ruled by the French-born Mary of Guise. She had made several concessions to the growing Protestant movement in Scotland, and this was partially due to her Catholic allies, the French, being occupied by war with Spain. But in 1559, that war ended, freeing up French support and enabling Mary to push back against the Protestant expansion. She summoned the country's Protestant leaders to appear before her on May 10th. This caused the Protestants to write to Knox and ask him to return from Geneva. Large numbers of Protestants, lords, commoners, and preachers, had gathered at Dundee as a sort of makeshift army. Knox met them there, and they marched en masse to Perth. Knox preached a fiery sermon denouncing the Catholics as idolaters. When the service ended, the Protestant faithful began a riot, sacking the town friaries, destroying the Catholic altars and images, and causing a general ruckus. By the time June drew to a close, the Protestants had marched on and occupied Perth, Stirling, and St. Andrews. The movement was growing in scope and power, but July brought a new challenge. King Henry II of France died on July 10th, which put the Geis family in charge of France as well as Scotland. Now this posed a problem for Knox and the Scottish Protestants, because it gave the French even more reason to come to the aid of Mary Geis in her efforts to put down the rebellion. It also posed a problem for Queen Elizabeth down in England. A united and unimpeded Scotland and France could potentially remove Elizabeth from power and unite all three thrones under the banner of Francis II of France. Mary Geis moved her troops into the field in winter of 1559, and the Protestant forces were hard-pressed to maintain the cause. By sheer force of will, Knox encouraged them to hold firm and resist Mary's national forces and the French mercenaries that she had at her disposal. Knox knew the Protestants were not a professional army. They were volunteers and they couldn't stay in the field indefinitely. The situation was desperate. So Knox and the Protestant leaders, known as the Lords of the Congregation, drew up the Treaty of Berwick, calling for England to provide troops and military support in the fight against Mary Geis. Knox was unable to present the treaty personally because of Elizabeth's hatred of him. Remember, he'd questioned the legitimacy of any female ruler. Nonetheless, Elizabeth knew that her best chance at security lay in a Protestant Scotland, so she deployed 10,000 English troops to Scotland. Now, the fighting was fierce and there were losses were great on both sides. The lords of the congregation met with Mary Geis over dinner to discuss an end to the hostilities on May 12, 1560. They discussed a proposal for Mary to step down from power and be replaced by her brother. Well, another Catholic Frenchman didn't appeal to the Protestants, so they broke off the talks. Suspiciously, Mary became sick soon after this dinner. She exhibited symptoms of dropsy, and on June 8th she made out her will, and then on June 11th she died. An autopsy didn't reveal any signs of foul play, but modern scholars are suspicious. She may have been poisoned, or it may have just been providence. We just don't know. The combination of Mary's death, Protestant victories, 
and the presence of the English soldiers carried the day for the lords of the congregation. On July 6th, both the French and English agreed to leave Scotland and leave it to its own Protestant governance. The Scottish Parliament met almost immediately and commissioned Knox, among others, to write a confession of faith, which the body shortly adopted. In August, laws were passed abolishing the mass and revoking papal authority. Knox and others then drew up the first book of discipline for organizing the church in Scotland. It wasn't fully implemented because of the costs, but a later second book of discipline was after the reign of Mary, Queen of Scots. Knox's order of service, the Book of Common Order, that had been rejected in Frankfurt, was adopted, and it assured that the Protestantism practiced in Scotland was Presbyterian and Calvinistic. Knox's wife Marjorie died in December 1560. His mother-in-law had been living with the couple, and she remained so even after her daughter's death. This arrangement led to accusations of impropriety, but there's been nothing found to demonstrate that Knox and his mother-in-law had anything more than a son-in-law-mother-in-law relationship. Knox was appointed as preacher at St. Giles, where he would remain until his death. The return of Mary Queen of Scots brought more strife and turmoil and war to Scottish soil. But Knox persevered. He remarried in 1564, and his new wife Margaret Stuart bore him three daughters. 1564 also saw the publication of his five-volume masterwork, The History of the Reformation of Religion in Scotland, which he'd been working on since 1559. Knox finished his life preaching in St. Giles. When he grew too weak to walk, he was carried to the pulpit. Even when his voice had grown so faint as to be barely heard, the man who is known as the Thundering Scot for his booming voice and fiery sermons and his firm stances continued to preach the gospel. He gave his final sermon on November 9, 1572, and he died 15 days later on November 24th. By then, the Presbyterian Church of Scotland was solidly established. His legacy in the Presbyterian Church and Protestantism at large continues today. Now that's all for this episode of Giants of the Faith. Thanks for listening. Until next time, God bless.